Welcome back to this week's episode of Trainer's Lifestyle. In this week's episode, my guest and I, we talk about discovering how to add some sparks to your work and doing work that you love. We dive into topics of passion and some practical tools that you can use to discover how to make work worth it. We also dive into topics around leadership and about consuming media consciously. Perhaps we're consuming too much of it. Who knows? Also, join our community on Facebook of Trainer's We'd love to learn at Trainers Forum on Facebook group. Enjoy this episode. Here we go. We're live. Today I'm speaking with Veronika Shiva. She is a leadership coach who helps people find work that they love. Hi, Bear. So nice to talk with you. Thank you. Hi, Oscar. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you managed the name. I know it's yeah. a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know you through a coaching network. And what I really want to know is like you're doing leadership coaching and helping people find work that they love. So just to start off, how did you get into co coaching? Where is this journey from? Yeah, so I, I think we all coach or like at, at least a lot of us actually have been coaching all along we just didn't really know it so you know in my case i was basically often applying these lessons from book i'd learned to like people in my life um but it wasn't definitely anything that i was doing as my profession so i uh, used to be a lawyer i have a legal background and i got into coaching full-time when i made a switch from um, living in germany where i was working as an attorney to uh, moving to the US uh, where, my, where my husband lived. And I figured I could use that transition to start doing something that I really feel called to do. And uh, so that's how I, how I got into doing that full time. And it just felt really natural to focus on, you know, like the work you love as aspect, because mm. um, I think often areas that we struggled with the most are areas that uh, we're really good at helping other people with just because we know all the like pitfalls mm. and so on and so forth. So for me, um, I also notice when I talk with people um, and they have, you know, an issue around passion, purpose, work, meaning, I'm like, oh yeah. And it's not quite like, I also like helping people, you know, with uh, challenges in other areas. It's just not quite the same spark, which, you know, like I think helps with identifying that passion. Mm, yeah. And before the call, you were saying that you didn't like your previous job. So do you think this was like, the reason for that as well you didn't feel like satisfied with the work you love and you found this through that so for me i i think i always felt like i was holding myself back in some ways and not really doing you know it's sort of like more following the traditional path that i thought you should take where you get a degree and then you kind of advance on the ladder and do all these things rather than being a bit more entrepreneurial and figuring out what I really want to do and basically carving my own path. Mm. So I think that it was, it was more of that. Yeah. But oftentimes it's quite, it can be quite a jump to start your own thing. Or, oh yeah. Yeah. Do coaching because you said you're doing coaching mostly online now, which is awesome because mm -hmm. then you can basically live wherever yeah. you want. But let's um, dive into what kind of coaching are you doing right now? How do you help people? As you said, work you love, coach. How do you help people find work that they love? Yeah, right. So I think it's basically uh, two different groups of people. One is, 
mostly people who are employees and they sort of like have this notion, I'm not really sure this is what I want to do. And it can look very differently, right? It can mm -hmm. be somebody has a super toxic boss and they really can't, you know, like they go into work and I don't know, their stomach cramps together and, and all that sort of thing. And they basically don't want to go in on Mondays. Um, that's sort of like mm. the extreme or it can be somebody who's actually in a really good position and they're like, you know, everybody tells me I should be happy, but I'm not like what's going on. So it can be the whole spectrum. And typically with people who are in that position, I help them get clear what their next step is. And, you know, if it's a really toxic situation, the next step might be quitting your job and finding something else. Um, mm. Either finding a new job, which is often the preferred approach, you know, if people would otherwise be too concerned about money, because I don't think it's helpful to be really concerned about paying one's bills when you're building your own business. So um, it's often, yeah, often yeah, good to sort of like, you know, have, have, have that taken care of. Or um, if they actually realize, hey, this is not, this is quite okay um, to start basically what I call a purposeful passion project on the side. Ooh. So, you know, like, for instance, like this one person that I had whose uh, work was really great in so many ways and we just felt like something was missing. Just sort of like adding that passion project on the side already helped remedy the situation. And then suddenly like a job that you don't like turns into, oh, this is giving me enough time to explore my passion and purpose. You know, it's, it's basically kind of like a business loan uh, for your, ah, okay. <laughs> for, for you know, like uh, building up what you want to do. Oh, awesome. And it's interest free. Yeah, to start so, something on the side. Do you think that a lot of people go through this of like maybe not feeling they're completely satisfied in work or need to find something on the side? Yeah. And I think it's actually getting more because, um, so I think, I recall um, a book, and this is like a couple of decades old already. And it may actually have been by Viktor Frankl. It was um, basically comparing... The Man's Search for Meaning? Yeah, well, it, that wasn't the book, but it was sort of like something from the same author, I think. Okay. And they were shared, like, like in the book, uh, there was something about uh, two different, um, I guess, regions in the world. And the question what people looked for most when it came to a job. And basically, in, you know, like the countries that are already very wealthy, uh, the number one answer or something along the lines of meaning. Mm. And then, you know, like in places where you're, you know, maybe not so sure if your fundamental human needs are being fulfilled, it was mostly like money. So I think there is sort of like that shift happening once society gets really saturated and you realize, oh, I could get more stuff and it's not going to make me happy. That's sort of like the shift happens to, oh, so now how do I get more meaning in my life? Like, how do I do what I really want to do? So, yeah. So when, once you've fulfilled the basic needs, then this n stronger need probably emerges. Yeah. Do you think that um, this is something that everybody can find or that everybody is born with? How, what does purpose look like, you think, for you? Yeah. So... I think it's not an intellectual exercise. So I think it's almost easier to say what it is not. So I think nowadays um, it's often seen as something like intellectual, right? Like you look down, like uh, write a list of like, what's my purpose? Yada, da, 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 da. And I think it's actually much simpler than that. And you can actually feel it. Hmm. Um, so you can kind of like feel when you're aligned and when you're doing what's 
really lights you up and what feels like, hey, this is what I want to do. Do, do, do you get what I'm talking about? Like, like do you notice yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. like doing? Yeah. Actually, there was a, a quote from a friend like that I was talking to last week. She was saying that like, you know, you're in the right direction through the, like the feeling of what you're experiencing, not through like knowing it. It's like, huh? Yes. Like you said, it's less of an intellectual exercise and more of a gut feeling, I guess. Yeah. And I think you can actually see it in people. Like you can see when they're mm. like, sort of like suddenly uh, lit up and they talk about it and they become like very excited. And <laughs> so, so it, that's what I'm referring to often. Um, and then I guess like I also differentiate between passion and purpose to some extent. Uh, and sort of like passion is actually more this excitement, you know, like mm. the activities that you just sort of like keep on doing just because it feels like play and you kind of like forget what time it is and so on. And then purpose is sort of like more the causes that you really care about. That's cool. Yeah, actually, I totally agree with that. It's for people listening. It could be interesting. Like, yeah, you know it when you've found it. But how do we find it then? What are, is there, my own experience is like a, a journey of trying out different things and maybe using different tools. What What's your experience about that? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good approach to really try it out. Um, so I think sometimes it can even help just changing the question because okay. I feel like we've all been, there's all this talk about, oh, follow your passion, yada, da, 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 you know, so we've been like Steve Jobified or something. <laughs> and, um, and I think it helps to change the question, for instance, from what's my passion to what really excites me? Because mm. often, you know, like words have become kind of like they, uh, so, so you know, like they've they've taken on too much significance in our experience. Um, it's it's kind of like looking for who's my soulmate or something, and then it sort of like becomes like this huge thing rather than like oh, who's the person you actually really like to spend time with you? You know. That's true. Yeah, but how? Yeah, if there's something that excites you, mm -hmm. and you, you probably want to do it for a long time, but then how can you be certain? And like, there's always a doubt of maybe maybe you don't know that you'll be as happy as you think you would be is there how do you overcome that threshold i wonder so i think one one issue that i often see is with uh you know, like multi-passionate people where there are like lots of different interests i feel that yeah right so i, I think what then can help is really write down all the things or at least you know, like some of the things that you're interested in and give yourself time to explore them for like maybe a month each at a time or a mm -hmm. week at least and then see, is this something that I want to look at more deeply? So, you know, for instance, in my case, if I use my own example, there are things that I really find super interesting. Like, I love martial arts. That doesn't mean that, you know, it needs to be something um, I would want to pursue full time, mainly, you know, A, there's other things and B, I suck at it. So, <laughs> you know, there's sort of like always a question. Um, like how much attention do you want to give to all of these things? So mm. I think it, it really, it's lovely once you get clear on your passions to give them space in your life. Maybe not all, but like the ones that feel most important, you know, so in my case, kind of like actually finding martial arts group that I'm going to and so on and so forth. And that gives like great joy to my life. It doesn't mean that it needs to be the main thing I'm doing. And I can still use a lot of lessons that I'm learning from there and actually like bring it into my coaching, interestingly enough. So it kind of like becomes this beautiful, like, you know, thing where you weave all the aspects of your life together. Oh, uh, yeah. 
that makes sense. Yeah, and I guess it's about finding the priority of what you what you have, right? How do you help uh, coaching clients find this? Usually, is do you have a tool, or is it just through the questioning? Well, I think we should you know, like stop focusing so much on the finding, right? Because because um, it's almost more like most people already know what they like. They just mm -hmm. sometimes don't really acknowledge it to themselves. And part of that is because I think we've idealized passion and purpose so much. Ah, yeah. Right? Like it's it's sort of like this, how do I find my soulmate? How do I find my passion? It's sort of like very grasping and like doubting that you can have it. Mm. Rather than, hey, I'll just yeah. do something that I'm excited about. And of course, you know, like if people have been denied play for a long time, it can be hard to get back to that feeling. So it can take a time to kind of like dig and really find those places again. So I think childhood can be a good place to look like, you know, how, what was it like to play? And then actually like give yourself permission to play a couple hours per week. Um, That's just, awesome. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, actually in a recent workshop that I was giving and when we were exploring, well, the topic was purpose and we were exploring passion as one of the parts. The, I had the people answer, what did you used to enjoy as, uh, in, during your childhood? And yeah, it's, it can even be hard for people to like think about what did I really truly make me excited and yeah, what sparks joy. But it's really important to reflect on that. Another part of your coaching is and your what you're doing right now is like you said leadership, right? And how we can become better leaders. I'm really interested in that topic too because yeah, leadership is like leading is leading other people and being an example, but also. Um, leading your own life and make, being able to make good decisions, I guess. Mm -hmm. So what does good leadership look like to you? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on that concept because I think, oh my God, we have so many leadership theories. Uh-huh, so many. Whoa, right? And, um, and I think we're also not really clear on terminology. So I would actually differentiate between good leadership and leadership for a good cause. And Ooh. instead of using good leadership, I would probably say effective leadership because something can be an effective form of leadership and can, you know, wreak terrible havoc, havoc in the world. Um, yeah. You know, like if you look at some of like the worst like dictators, they're probably very effective leaders are just like doing terrible things with it. <laughs> so in terms of like leadership theories, I'm uh, very much influenced by, uh, I guess, like developmental psychology, integral theory, and these types of things where you basically, so basically my, my thinking is that effective leadership depends on the situation and sort of like on where the environment is at, is at. So for instance, like effective leadership in the 14th century probably looked very different than effective leadership nowadays in Silicon Valley, then, you know, it's going to look 200 years from now because it changes. What does it look like now? Yeah, again, that that depends on who you're talking to, right? Like if you're in a prison, effective leadership probably probably looks like uh, quite different than, you know, if, if you're doing business consulting. Um, so I, I can, I guess, like share, share an example. So um, I was co-leading, um, uh, I guess, like transnational legal team for mm -hmm. um, an emerging political movement in, in Europe. And so 
for me, I found it was very important to give everybody on the team the sense that their contribution mattered. Mm. Because if you look at, uh, at studies, it seems that people are much more motivated by, you know, like recognition and things like that and feeling like their work matters than by say pay increases. So for volunteering positions, that's even more important that you kind of like give people the sense that they get paid in some other ways. So I think like recognition is super important. And um, also always telling people why what they're doing matters. So often, you know, like um, when you're in a situation, you have to do something that's super menial and annoying and you're like, why am I even doing that? And I think if somebody comes and explains to you, um, here's what I, I totally get this might not be like fun to do. And here's why this is important anyway for the wider whole and how it fits into the whole picture. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. I'll do it now. Cause you kind of like feel treated like you're an adult and you know, like respected and so on. So it sort of like breeds positive feeling, I would say. Yeah. Basic respect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think it's surprising how often that does not happen. It is, wouldn't you say like, there's always, well, right now it's like, always important to differentiate between managers and leaders yeah and isn't the other one that we're referring to as not too great as managers or like basic management i guess and like leadership is an attitude i think that's one theory um and again like you know if we look at the developmental levels at the postmodern level leadership is an attitude or like everybody can be a leader makes perfect sense if you look at a traditional level that idea is completely bonkers you know like um back when we had absolutist monarchy you know uh, going like oh everybody can be a leader yeah right you know get in your place <laughs> like <laughs> or whatever yeah you know that would have played itself out so um i i um i think it's very true nowadays uh, that it's that everybody can be a leader mm -hmm. and that it doesn't depend so much on title or like formal authority you know, like, for instance, somebody like Rosa Parks had a much bigger impact on, you know, like the world in some ways, even not, not just her country, but the whole world, than like people, a lot of people in formal positions of leadership. So I often also think that leadership is sort of like more about impact. Mm, that's um, true. But not everybody uses it in that way. Like, you know, a lot of people use it in this like very formal way where basically leadership being a better leader is sort of like, hey, how do you manage better? And uh, then it costs like gazillions of dollars to <laughs> teach people how to do that. Um, and interestingly enough, it's, yeah. That's so, true. so I think there's also like a lack of leadership training for people who are not in those positions and who can't kind of like, you know, afford really expensive seminars on that. Ah, uh, yeah. Is that something you think that is essential? for organizations like is that a top should be a top priority um i think some things are really helpful for organizations you know which is like uh, people becoming more emotionally intelligent but again you know like it also once again uh, depends on the organization because if an organization is completely dysfunctional and some people become more emotionally intelligent probably what they'll do is quit and find someplace else so <laughs> i think you can't really have very healthy people long-term in an unhealthy system. That's true. So, yeah. But like, I mean, if, if, if it's like an organization that's well run and so on and so forth, then I think people developing more emotional intelligence can greatly increase, you know, like productivity because it's sort of like increases cohesion in the team. 
um, and so on and so forth. And um, also kind of like decreases drama. And I think often a lot of productivity is taken up by just like drama rather than people just doing the work. Yeah, you, you said being able to deal with stress is one of the skills that you help people manage. And yeah, that's definitely like, yeah, I guess if, uh, if it's a stressful situation at work, then people aren't being as effective or good as leaders as they can be. How, how can we deal with um, stress or to become better leaders, do you think? How does that work? Yeah, I think, wow. Um, well, there are so many different uh, aspects to that. So I think one thing that's really stressing us out nowadays is sort of like constantly being available. So, mm. you know, having times where you switch off, uh, not multitasking, because multitasking increases stress and decreases productivity. Meditating. I mean, I totally notice a difference when I meditate regularly versus when I don't. And I once, uh, <laughs> I once wow. uh, gave kind of like a lecture and I, and this was in front of people who were just basically starting their career journey. And I told them, you know, like the number thing you should probably do is meditate. It's like the one <laughs> thing that makes the biggest difference. And it's also the, num the first thing I stopped doing when I most needed. So, <laughs> yeah. I never heard that as the number one thing, but I regularly meditate once in a while, but maybe I should do it more. Yeah, because I think it, um, it brings awareness to the now mm -hmm. and to what's really happening and not to just like our stories that are running in our head. Yeah, that's fair enough. True. Hi, you've reached the mid-episode break while listening to Trainers Lifestyle, a podcast provided by Trainers Forum. Check out Trainers Forum at trainersforum.org to know more and to connect with us and to learn more about myself at oscarwar.com. All the links are in the description. Also, awesome announcement. I would love to hear what you think about the episodes. And if you have any questions, I would love for you to send them in. If you click the last link in the description, you can send me a voice message, either asking me a question about learning experiences, which I might ask to the next guest, or simply leave a comment, which I'll play at the end of the next episode. We really want to hear from you guys. So if you have anything to say, you can either send us a voice message or share this on social media, post this on your Instagram story and tag Trainers Forum or myself, Oscar All Day, or post it on Facebook, on LinkedIn and tag Trainers Forum. Hope you keep enjoying this and back to the episode. And you wrote an article recently about not consuming negative media or oh, media yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah. It, did that have a big impact about like stress levels? You think? Oh, totally. Yes. So um, I can, can tell. Experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, this has been running for like five years. So it's a really long experiment. Oh wow. So at some point, I noticed I was getting so stressed out about the news. Uh huh. Um, a couple of years ago, and then I'm like, wait a minute. I've had all these people that I admire tell me that you shouldn't read the news. Maybe I'll look into that. So what I did is I called it the conscious media diet, where I um, read less negative news and more positive news. So I specifically went to good news websites. And if you Google good news or, you know, like you'll, you'll find examples. Mm. And it was so interesting because it made such a difference in, in how I felt. Um, so my mood was very different. Like I was calmer and had more of a sense of peace. Um, I also shared that with other people and they were like, oh, this is great. Like, I kind of like missed that, you know, like um, there are all these positive developments happening and we don't really pay attention to it because we... It's like the usual. Glued, yeah, to, to the breaking news, bad story of, of the week. 
um, and there's actually research on that, like on how negative news impacts people. So it's not just, you know, my experience, it's also backed up by, by research. And there's also research on how there's such a gap between, you know, like what actually kills people versus what is written about. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so um, a lot of news is about terrorism. And if you, for instance, live in the US, your risk of being killed in a terrorist attack is much lower than being killed by a TV falling down. Like they're, they're actually, it's actually really dangerous. Like TV sets, like <laughs> killing, you know, like killing children, for instance. Oh, so, and it's so weird, like this disconnect between, um, you know, what we should be concerned about and what we are concerned about. Huh, that's crazy. Never heard of that TV set example. And unfortunately, yeah, our, like if we look at our history, it makes perfect sense that we have a preference for negative news. So apparently we all are geared towards negative news, even if we True. say we prefer positive news. Uh, so they've done some experience where they've tracked like eyeball movements. Mm -hmm. And they basically told people, so it was a study and they didn't tell them that was to, to, to see if they prefer negative or positive news. It was, I think, for something else. What happened? They, they said it was for something else. And then they basically just looked, where do people naturally gravitate? So even the people who said they prefer positive news, they kept on like <laughs> clicking on the negative ones. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's crazy. And also like it's the caveman instinct, I guess, of like... Right, exactly, right. Like where's, where's the thing that could like kill me or eat me? <laughs> well, how can we... Let's just yeah dive into this topic. How how can we um, avoid negative news then? And also, yeah, let's start with that. How can we avoid negative news? Because I think I feel like it's everywhere. Yeah. So I think um, first off, all it's helpful to not get notifications on the phone, mm -hmm. um, so that you can choose when you want to engage with news rather mm. than having it choose you. It. I think it's also really helpful to not use it as a distraction method. So a lot of my clients um, tell me that they read news during breaks because it's really like a socially acceptable thing to do when you need a break or you go read the news. Huh, okay. And that they instead find something else to do that actually recharges them better, like take a small walk or you know just get up and get, get some water. Um, like one person I recommended because this person loved playing ba uh, basketball to get like a tiny, one of those tiny basketball thingies <laughs> that you can clip on your um, dust, uh, on your garbage or your yeah, trash yeah, yeah. can and then kind of like just throw small balls. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and, like, so I think, you know, kind of like finding a replacement habit, even if it's just like reading positive news instead, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I don't read the news in general that much. But I was just watching the World Economic Forum today and there was, yeah, like the first thing is it's, it's, they're all talking about the issues of the world. So I was like, eh. yeah. I just watched Greta's speech and then I was like, okay, I'm done. But, <laughs> but I think a lot of people feel, at least what I've heard, is that they want to keep up and they're afraid of not knowing what's happening around them. So what is your experience? Is that what happened to you or were you still able to keep up? Interestingly enough, not. So... um we're so, I think this always happened, that news traveled, you know, through the uh, regular, like, network, you know, mm. where people just share it with you. So I think that happened in the past, and it's happening even more now that we're so interconnected. So you'll get emails, you know, like, people telling you about it. Um, you'll click on something, and you'll see the headlines. So even if you never checked out a news 
paper in your life anymore. You'd still know what's going on just because it's everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Um, and there's one example that I always give about how you're not going to miss something important happening. So um, this was a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And when 9-11 um, happened, I think it was daytime, uh, you know, like maybe afternoonish or in, in, in Germany. And he was apparently walking at, at university. Mm -hmm. And one of his professors saw him um, driving. No, no, actually, he, he was, he was, sorry, <laughs> he was driving in his car, uh, you know, like around university in Germany and completely different continent. Yeah. This professor saw him, rushed out, um, basically, you know, thankfully didn't get driven over because he wanted to tell my friend about the attacks that had happened. Wow. So he hadn't turned on the radio, but like, nevertheless, somebody saw him was like, Hey, have you heard? Oh, that's crazy. So oh, yeah, it was massive news. Yeah. So I think that's one thing, like, like somebody's going to tell you, even if you never checked out news again. Plus, you know, if you, if you check it out every week or so, mm -hmm. or get a Reader's Digest or something, you're not going to miss anything important. Like basically it's all often the same regurgitated stuff anyway. Like the issues that existed a year ago, they typically still exist. And we're kind of like missing the longer term trends because we're so focused on the breaking news headline. Mm. And I think it's different um, when it comes to more well-researched articles, you know, that really go in depth. That's actually different. But I think breaking news are often so useless because they just, it's, it's always like the same thing again. And then like maybe with like one new piece of information. <laughs> yeah. And that's very different than really good investigative journalism where you're reading, you're like, oh, I have a much better grasp on the topic now. So it's basically like the difference between, you know, like knowing what, thinking you're informed and actually being informed. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, just being, cramming your head with information doesn't really count, I guess. But um, I, I, as you can tell, I'm kind of like passionate about it because I've yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. thought about it for a long time. So one example that I also found so interesting, um, I looked into some of the newspapers when Franz Ferdinand was um, killed, okay. which, you know, like now we know, hey, it basically sparked this whole, yeah. You know, like it, it had had like this massive impact on the 20, 20th century. But back then, back when that happened, yeah, they mentioned that he, he got killed, but there wasn't really a focus on the wider implications. So even if you followed the news back then, you would never have been able to place it in the correct historical context unless you already had like other information, you know, just from the newspapers alone. Whoa. Yeah, for the everyday passerby, but to the people that were involved, I guess they knew why it was happening. And Yeah. Okay, well, that's pretty crazy. Would you recommend people to try going without uh, looking at news? I, I would, yeah, even if, um, even if just for a while, because it's an interesting stepping back from mm -hmm. this constant discussion. And at some point, you see very clearly how our intention is being manipulated. And when I say manipulated, I don't mean necessarily mean that it's deliberate. It's basically just the effect. Like if we're being constantly bombarded with the next crisis, we never have time to think about like structural issues. We're also really misinformed because we don't see the positive developments that are happening. So you know, like a lot of people think things are getting worse. But then if you look at a lot of um, indicators, mm -hmm. things are actually getting much better. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's You're true. Like, I think like compared to my grandparents, <laughs> my life is amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's there's one book I don't remember something. It's called has the word stats in its name, and it shows you how literacy rates have increased all over the world and average life expectancy as well. And the world definitely has increased in yeah. overall. As I don't like consume news actively either. I think most of um, whatever breaking news or big news I get is like through memes and funny videos, <laughs> like somebody <laughs> making fun of the news, like the thing between, between Iran and the U.S. that's happening. I've just saw, seen a bunch of memes about it because that's <laughs> news travels in funny ways as well. It, yeah, it really does. That's really a cool experiment for people to try. And yeah, I'm going to promote you a little bit. So you just wrote a book which is super cool. What's it called, actually? It's called The Work You Love Revolution. Awesome. What is, could you like summarize what you learned from this book? Yeah, so basically I'm describing the whole process of, you know, going from being unhappy with work to taking, you know, the first steps to start what I call your own Work You Love Revolution. And my theory is that the situation is so intense or calcified mm. that we actually need, you know, like um, a revolution in our own lives about the whole thing. So there are actually indicators that, for instance, meaningful work gets paid less than work that actually has meaning. Really? Yeah. Huh. How do you know so, that? So, um, I mean, one book that I found really interesting, it's called Bullshit Jobs. Okay. And it's by uh, Graeber, who's um, a really great anthropologist. Mm -hmm. And he's, I don't necessarily agree with everything in his book. And it's like really interesting to read that. So, so my book was kind of like also influenced by something that he wrote. Of course. Um, yeah. So what I, what I learned uh, through writing my own book is um, there are many things coming together. So one thing is it's actually like a revolutionary upheaval of your life to have meaningful work. And there's a lot of fear associated with that typically. And it can almost feel like a fall from grace. I mean, people are scared of doing work that they love? I, yeah, because it's, I mean, so I think we, like people are often on two sides of the spectrum. On one side, we have people, I call it the money or meaning dilemma, right? Like okay. you can either have like a safe career that you don't really care about, or you can follow your soul and kind of like uh, be, be sort of like the starving artist. And so like people who already have meaning in their lives, they often struggle with getting paid well for that. So I don't think they are necessarily concerned about having meaning in their lives and following that. For them, it's really more about, well, how do I get, really get paid adequately for that? Yeah. But I think for a lot of the other people, you know, like the ones um, who've gone like for the success route and like doing what looks like success in our world and blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly it's like, well, I did all this stuff and now what like i'm successful quote unquote but i'm feeling unfulfilled hmm. do you think it's easier or better if we can say that to first go for first go for one than the other like yeah because like you said you can't just quit your job to pursue meaning if there's no plan and if yeah yeah so um i've written an article about you know, what to do when, or, and it's also in the book, like when you're on what side of the money meaning dilemma. Mm. Like I 
typically work with people who uh, have enough financial stability and want to have more meaning in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's often a comfortable place to be in. Well, it's uncomfortable, but you know, at least <laughs> basic needs are met. Um, at least you can pay your bills. Yeah. And I guess, you know, like some of the questions um, that I'm exploring more in group situations is sort of like, you know, helping, helping coaches to you know, like uh, promote themselves more and so on. That's probably more around bringing in more money for the meaningful work that's, that's happening. Um, and I think like for people who at the moment are struggling with both, they like feel like they neither have money or meaning in their lives. I think it makes sense to first go for the money mm. just because it's more comfortable to like, like there's more space. You have access to more resources when you don't have to uh, worry about paying the bills. True, true, true. Yeah. And I've <laughs> heard like it's yeah. Try to remove that worry because it can take up so much of your thoughts. Um, yeah. To, satisfy those basic needs first because otherwise yeah. it'd be way too much was it difficult to write the book how what was the process like because you're also a habit coach so how did you create the habit? yeah um so what really helped me is i got um an app that basically turned my laptop into a typewriter unless i hit a certain work word count oh wow and it worked yeah like basically if you if, if you have the choice between either writing you're like let's say a thousand five hundred or three thousand or whatever words or not being able to access <laughs> all your files again. You just write. Oh um, shit! So that's been really that really helped. What was the name? What's the name yeah, of the app? I think it's I think it's called uh, Cold Turkey app. Ah, okay, yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. One of my friends was using it when he was writing his thesis. Ah, oh, that's really good. But that doesn't that one just limit uh, you from internet access or your files as well? Everything. Oh wow! Everything like. It literally turns your phone into a typewriter. Damn. Which is great in terms of distractions and motivation to you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. If you could give one tip to people to do to be able to pursue work that they love, what would it be? Wow. Okay. You can take your time. <laughs> so I think it all begins with the insight that it's possible mm. to have work you love. Because uh, I think we've all been raised with the belief that it's really almost like 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 work is hard mm -hmm. maybe that's just my German upbringing but like you know work is hard and work is basically the stuff you don't want to do because otherwise you wouldn't get paid for it mm -hmm. so I think the first step is really getting clear that that's even a possibility mm -hmm. to be paid for work that you love and um makes sense yeah and then you can kind of like start unraveling all these negative beliefs and so on and so forth yeah it's very important to start from that just Understanding that it's 100% a possibility. You just need to start create a plan and work towards it, right? Yeah. So we're almost towards the end. I'm wondering, is there anything that hasn't be been said around this topic of creating work you love that you would like to mention? Well, I think the impact that it has on the wider whole, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've talked about how um, it's really uncomfortable for people to do work they don't really care about. Um, so part of what motivates me to help people kind of find the passion and purpose and bring it more into the world is that I know that there's a treasure, you know, of things that they can give to others. We all have our gifts and it's so important that we share them and not, it's like, if, if you have these beautiful cookies you made, you know, would you keep them all to yourself or kind of share them with others? So it's sort of like share your cookies. Yeah, let, let others enjoy the cookies too to see their right. sm the smiles yeah so so yeah so that would probably be like 
you're unique and uh, you're something very unique to give to the world. And yeah, I think it's almost like a sacred duty to uncover mm. that and start giving that even when it's hard or even when it's scary. Um, and I think we're all better off as a result. Awesome. What would uh, you want people to take action on after listening to this podcast? Um, I think it uh, will be helpful to come up with a plan. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I don't want to sort of like be salesy. Um, I, I do, I do have a good process in my book and it's very inexpensive because I wanted to make it available for uh, as many people as possible. Cool. So I think that's a good place to start. Other than that, um, I think the most immediate thing is to schedule time for play. Mm. Yeah. You know, like put aside uh, two hours, you know, within the next week to just do something that you like to do and uh, see what happens. Awesome. And if there's something that you've really been thinking about, you know, just do it. <laughs> would also be a plan yeah that's super cool awesome thank you so much where where can people find you or connect with you if they want to learn more yeah so um the best places are my website and i have a newsletter where i regularly send out all sorts of new resources and stuff i create hmm. and that's workyoulovecoach.com cool and also leaderforgood.com where i have my podcast I do have um, a free series uh, for taking the first steps towards creating work you love. Uh, that's also available on, on the workylovecoach.com website. I write on Medium and I have a YouTube channel. So these are the places where I'm most active and where it's easiest to connect with me. Okay. <laughs> I also answer other, other you know, social, social media networks. I just don't uh, create as much content there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Sweet. thank you so much. This is yeah, thank you so much, Better, for talking with me, taking the, the time. It's very insightful, I think, to learn about how to create work we love and be a better leader. Thank you. No one interview you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to get even more inspiration on Trainers Lifestyle and upcoming events in Trainers Forum, Join our group on Facebook and follow our page on social media. We host a yearly conference and multiple local trainers meetings around Europe. The links are in the bio, but you can also Google Trainers Forum. Stay tuned and have a great day.